Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another week of A Father's Love, Healing Through Heartache. Uh, I'm Dan, and here with my friend Chris. We're just uh, two regular dads who, within the last few years, have lost a son. Uh, Chris lost his son, Mason, at seven years old, and I lost my son, Jameson, at nine years old. And we do this show each week just so that we can talk to each other about our grief and our lives and how we're taking one step at a time trying to move forward. And we're hoping along the way that we can connect with some other people who are walking that road of grief, whether it's a parent or anybody who's experienced loss. So we thank you for tuning in and listening. We know that your time is valuable. And we want to, as always, thank WMQL Radio in Brevard, who is airing our show every week for us as well and helping us get our voice out there. And with that, Chris, it's good to see you, my friend. As always, my friend, how are you? I'm doing okay. So we're going to spend one more week here talking about mental health. Uh, Mental health is a very serious issue, as I think probably everybody in the world knows by this point. And we've spent the last couple weeks discussing the mental health issues that we've been having. Uh, First with the time right around Mason and Jameson getting sick and the days that they went to heaven. And last week we discussed uh, the week leading up to the funeral and that time right around the funeral and how we were doing with that. And today we're going to try to focus on the time around work and when we went back to work and the time leading up to that how we made the decision of when we went back to work if we even had a choice things like that so uh, Chris I'll throw it out to you Um, tell us about your work when you after you had the funeral how much of a choice did you have about how long you took off to just get your mind ready and how do you make that decision to go back? Yeah, thanks, Dan. Yeah, so it was, um, it's kind of weird. The military has a lot of special like programs and leave situations, emergency leave, stuff like that. And you would think losing a child that that would fall into one of those realms, but there really is no bereavement leave. And leave is time off in the military, if you don't, if people have never heard that term before, military leave. Um, and so because there's no bereavement leave uh, for the loss of a spouse or a child or anything of the sort, uh, you have to take your regular time off that you've earned up over the time. Now, I usually always try to keep 30 to 40 days of leave on the books. So that way, if I needed anything, um, anything popped up, I'd have plenty of time. We earn two and a half days per month and you just keep occurring that over the time. When Mason uh, went to heaven, um, yeah, it was really hard. I I ended up, you know, we had Mason buried in New York, and I had to take about almost, I think I burned 24 days off of my 30 days that I had available in New York, um, you know, and that's obviously to get Mason home to New York, set everything up, have the funeral, And then to be honest, just try to, we didn't want to come back to Idaho. We didn't want to go back to Idaho because that's where everything occurred. That's where everything happened. You know, walking in our house for the first time after Mason uh, wasn't with us. Right. And then we had to leave him in New York because he's buried there. 
uh, wow, it was it was really, really difficult, really mentally taxing. And I had to go back to work. Now, granted, I will say that um, my fire department was amazing. Uh, Mountain Home Air Force Base Fire Department really took care of me the entire time. They, of course, took me off shift. I wasn't riding a fire truck anymore. I was. Uh, they put me in charge of like just some special things I needed. First off, give me time to recover. And um, so they didn't throw any huge projects at me, just little things to keep me occupied, helping out the department where I could. Um, but they knew I was in no mental state to do um, work like that. So really good in that sense. It, it, they really took care of me and looked after me. Um, one of the things I know I've talked about before is that when a tragedy like that does happen, though, the Air Force will let you move to a new base. It's called a humanitarian orders. And uh, we did apply for that, and it was approved for us to move here to Delaware. Now, Amanda and I thought it was a good idea to move here to Delaware because it, this is a really close base to Buffalo. It's only about a seven-hour drive, which some people might think that sounds really far, but to us in the military, that was nothing. Reben Station in Texas, Idaho, Alaska, Florida, um, you know, to only be seven hours from home is pretty much nothing for us. Uh, so we were... We thought that would be a good move, and we made the move. We applied, and uh, so Mason went to heaven in May, and by August, we were moving to Delaware. Um, you know, in hindsight, it, it was good for us, but it was also bad for us as well. Um, you move to a new place. You don't know anyone. You're starting from scratch, and, uh, you know, the fire department here at Dover Air Force Base, they did what they could to take care of me, too, Um but it, it wasn't the same kind of connection, I would say, as what I had at Mountain Home because those guys knew me a lot better. You know, I had already been there for a year and already established those personal connections. Now, um, they put me on an eight-hour shift, so I just worked normal. Um, I think my schedule was like 7.30 to 4.30 every day. Um, I could leave for whatever mental health appointments I needed to go to, family counseling appointments, stuff like that. Um, but there was really no... Um, decision like I had no choice I have to get back to work um it is what it is I had no more leave right I had burned almost all of my 30 days that I had saved up um you know I think I had six days left so you know it is what it is you had to I had to get back to work I had to I tried doing different things to get back in the swing of it I even pulled a couple shifts at the fire department um, it was just extremely difficult. I had to very often close my door, just be alone. I'd stare at a picture of Mason, um, have a cry, get it out, and then uh, hang the picture back up on the wall and get back to whatever work I could do. Now, I will say as the time went on, um, I was able to concentrate more and more, but it was still extremely difficult. Um, and... <clears throat> near, I want to say I had been at Dover for about a year and uh, your humanitarian orders only last for a year. And when those humanitarian orders were up, um, I was told I was going to be put on a deployment to the Middle East. Of course, I was not having that. I was very mad um, and I threw a fit. Um, you know, of course, I have to do if I ha if I had to do it, I would have to do it. I have no choice. But I talked to my mental health provider. I was able to get out of that deployment, um, not only because of my mental health, but also uh, I had the opportunity to move to a different job at a different location on base where I moved to the inspector general office. 
um, and that's where they do inspections on the base and stuff like that. And uh, because I had just gotten promoted, I was able to take that promotion to a different job, and uh, that job has been amazing. Those that team has been amazing. Uh, I finally feel now coming up on my two year mark where I can get through most of my day without thinking about Mason the whole time when I'm at work, I can get productive work done. I feel like I'm a productive member of the team. I feel like, um, I help my team out and that's important to me. Someone like me who really enjoys going to work and enjoys being part of a team, you know, when you can't produce for the team and you feel like you're actually bringing the team down, which is how I really felt at the fire department here in Delaware. I really felt like I was, dragging them down more than helping them right they had to accommodate my appointments they were trying to help me but they needed work done for me as well and i would be i would not be shocked if in fact i know for a fact my my uh productivity was not as high as it used to be in my past um but to be honest i just didn't have the mental capacity to do it i couldn't i couldn't concentrate it was a constant brain fog uh it felt like 24 7. um and moving to Delaware, right? Because we moved, got to meet new people, new house, new school for the kids, new everything. And it just brought more mental strain on top of trying to deal with the loss. So uh, if you haven't heard Dennis's episode, but he talked about it too, because he was in the military, you think the move is actually going to be good. But when you do the move, it takes you away from your entire support system, right? And that's exactly what happened. We moved away from Idaho. And yes, I don't think I could have stayed in Idaho, but I think I could have stayed in Idaho a little bit longer um, to prevent that mental anguish that it ended up bringing when we moved here to Delaware. Don't get me wrong. I've liked living in Delaware. Um, it's definitely provided some opportunities for me by moving to this new job um, and giving me this opportunity now to go to Germany uh, with my orders. Um, also we've been able to go to Buffalo a lot to visit Mason. And if I was in Idaho, there's no way I would have had that opportunity. So there were positives to moving here to Delaware, but there might've been some positives too, to staying where we were in Idaho, um, having our support system, Amanda, having friends, um, the boys having their friends. Uh, so there were definitely some downsides to moving as well. You know, you, you do the best you can with the information you have at the time. Amanda and I thought that that was the best move and that's why we did it. Um, I don't regret it, uh, but, you know, sometimes I wonder how things would have went if we would have stayed there in Idaho. So that's kind of how it worked for me, Dan. I, I, I feel like as the time went on, uh, I got to a point where I can concentrate, like I said, a lot better. I can get through a whole day of work now. Um, you know, I have my, I always have a, a ring on and that's Mason's fingerprint. And I look at it throughout the day as I'm typing and whatnot. So I know he's there with me and I think about him, but not to the point where I can't think about work. You know, I get a lot more done now and I feel better. It, it makes me feel better as, uh, uh, as an airman as well. So. Yeah. I think I was, I was similar in the sense that, I mean, I think probably everybody's similar that you, you just, you have days or you don't. And when they run out, they run out. I'm, I was very fortunate that in my 20 years of teaching, I've accrued a, an obscene number of days off because I never took sick days. And so I had I had plenty in the bank where I could have taken the rest of the year off without any issue. 
Um, we were fortunate with Erica. She had almost no days because she had to take maternity leave for both the boys, but or just Jameson actually, because Reese was uh, she was staying at home then. But she used up her her leave days for maternity, and then she was staying at home with the boys. So she just never accrued accrued very many. Uh, but fortunately, in the state of North Carolina, at least teachers can gift days to other people in emergencies. So we were able to, I think Erica was gifted 100 some days off. I think it may have been like 150 sick days that people, and I think it was all in our county. Um, just people were given three, four, five days each. So she didn't have to worry about that. And that was amazing. Uh, we're very fortunate and very thankful that our school system and our state allows the transfer of the days and for all the people that that gifted them because Erica was not anywhere close to ready to come back anytime soon. Um, I think I took about a month, if I remember right. And then I, it was just the point of, again, do I sit home and feel this way or do I go to work and feel probably the same way? Um, Erica was, it wasn't going to affect her any, whether I was there or not. Uh, Reese was already be going back to school right away so we could keep his life kind of normal. Uh, so it didn't, didn't really affect anything. So I decided that I went back, uh, again, I think after about a month. And, but it was hard because I think, uh, in the teaching world, I think probably similar to your world where in the fire department world where if you have a bad day and make a mistake, there's serious consequences when you're doing fire work. And in teaching, if I have a bad day and say the wrong thing, I can really mentally damage a child for a long time. So that was always hard of how do I still proceed with my grief and trying to heal, but still do my job teaching 20 young minds and not oversharing my grief or affecting them negatively and all that. So that, that was a challenge for me. Um, but very similar to you, I just, I had, I had no focus. I had no ability to, I had no energy to do anything. I was just, I was there physically. So I didn't use up another day. And, I mean, really, that's all I can say. I just plowed ahead every day, It, and then I went home, and I cried all day every day still. There were numerous things in my class that triggered me. Uh, there were books that we read out loud that had little moments, um, just everything. And then one of the hardest things for me is I had a, a student that year named Jameson. So every single day in walks this kid named Jameson. And that was, that was a challenge just to see somebody with that. Um, but it, it is, like Chris said, it is what it is. We had to go. So. Yeah, I'm interested in Dan to know that <clears throat> did it help, not help you, but um, I'm sure it was extremely difficult too because you were around kids every day. Um, but at the same sense, you don't want to damage those kids, like you said, mentally, right? So you had to force yourself to be nice to them and 
you know, not lash out at them and stuff like that. You had to, you had, I'm sure you had to physically think about that to make sure you didn't do it. Um, how mentally taxing was that on you to, to keep your composure during that difficult, you know, two, three, four months after, uh, the initial, you know, Jameson going to heaven. Yeah, it was hard. Um, cause it is teaching, teaching is exhausting on, on the best day teach you're pouring your heart and soul into 20 young minds and trying to just help them through all the struggles that they have in life. And it, it alone was exhausting. And then you add on to that, the fact that I came to school with absolutely no motivation, no energy, no mental strength, no anything other than again, just physical presence. It, it was, and I, I was an awful teacher, absolutely awful for the rest of the year. Cause how can I, there's so many times I remember just standing up there writing on the board, teaching whatever. And I'm like, I either don't know what I just said, so I don't know what to say next, or it hit me, oh, I just told them completely wrong how to add or whatever it was. Um, just everything about it was hard to, because I just didn't have a focus. So. Yeah, and I wonder too if that, like, that throws more like anxiety and guilt on you, I'm sure. Like, you, you obviously have a love of teaching and helping kids and now you probably on top of all your grief you feel like you're letting them down you know just like mm -hmm. i was saying how i felt like i was letting my team down you probably at a point felt like you were letting your kids down um teaching them and um i'm sure you still did it as best you could and that they were ready for the next grade no problem but at the same sense there's probably that little like me there's always that little part in your mind thinking like did I do everything I could? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know I tried to, but at the same sense, did I mess anybody up? Or like for me, did I mess this program up? Did I miss mess this up? Or um, did you have a lot of those feelings? Yeah. And I mean, teaching is one of those things you have to really, you have to really work hard to mess a kid up for um, permanently. And you have to work really hard to make it so a kid goes to the next grade and really, really struggles to the point where they it's almost impossible for them to catch up. Um, and I feel like I had done a, a, a pretty decent job up until that point where Jameson went to heaven, where um, I felt like they were prepared when they went to, went to middle school. And there, there were going to be gaps, but th nothing so major that they couldn't catch up. Um, I... I don't think I said anything too outrageous to any of the kids, even in my worst moments. I hope I didn't, because um, I, I was I was very careful, and there were a lot of times. And I told the kids my first day back, there's going to be times that I just break down crying. Just if that happens, please just grab a book and read for five minutes, ten minutes, whatever. There's going to be times that I run out of the room because I have to get out of the room. Um, just please help me with that. And the overwhelming majority of kids were amazing and understood it. And they helped keep each other in check so that I didn't have to worry about it. Um, the best thing, which the next thing I kind of want to lead into is what your colleagues may have done, which you've kind of shared a little bit, Chris, but 
I had, um, luckily I had an, an adjoining door to one class and vents to another one that I had two teachers that while I was out, they stepped in and took care of everything from minute one. They, they took my plans. They talked to the sub, they asked the kids what I had been working on and they did everything so that I didn't have to worry one ounce about school and planning and grading, whatever. And when I went back, they knew that I was still a mess. And I, I mean, I was in their rooms, it feels like 50 to 100 times every day saying, I know we've talked about this, but I don't know where that email is or where that paper is or whatever. Can you send it to me again? And not once did they sigh, moan, say no, anything. They just like, sure. Um, my memory was one of the biggest things when I went back that I just, I struggled with because I couldn't remember anything. Nothing mattered. And it doesn't matter how many times you've said it in a meeting before, I forgot it. And so I'm very thankful for these two colleagues that literally just grabbed my hand and handed me everything. So um, that was huge. And then they also offered if I had any issues with the kids or if I was having a moment where I needed to go out, I just needed to go open that door and make sure that the other teacher saw me. And she's like, she nodded and I went. And I came back and she was standing in the middle of both classrooms doing her thing. And I was able to go take a little break and, and get myself somewhat back together. And then also my principal, I'm very thankful that she had arranged that anytime I needed a moment, I just needed to call the office and she would find somebody to be in my room. And I did that a few times. And every time within 30 seconds, somebody was down in my room so I could go take a walk or get outside or do whatever I needed to do for five minutes, 10 minutes. And things like that were very helpful. Um, so I'm curious, uh, you, you, you mentioned a few things already, Chris, what, what can you pinpoint about your guys at the station, guys and gals at the station that they did to set up some routines and procedures to help you succeed, if that's the right word? Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, um, in Idaho, it went really well, you know, and that was right. So when Mason went to heaven in May, um, I think I went back to week back to work um, probably the first or second week of June and I was there until mid-August so about two full months with them after Mason passed and to be honest they just left me alone and they just threw me some little projects nothing major very easy things that you know were not mentally taxing um, that I could knock out and help out and everyone just checked on me all the time now this is where the difficult part came in when I moved to the new department um you know, we we're no stranger to moving in the military. This is my eighth base now. Um, every time you move, there's a growing, like a learning curve, right? You're meeting new people. And I got thrown into a couple jobs that I had never done before for the fire department. Uh, the first one was the fire prevention office, um, fire as a fire inspector. And then the next one, six months later, I got thrown into the training office. Um, and 
I of course appreciated that too, because that gives me the opportunity to take care of what I need to take care of. Um, so that's how they helped me out. Like they made sure that I was able to go to appointments if I needed to go do what I need to do. Um, but the same sense it's difficult and this is no one's fault. Really. This isn't the fire department. So, um, is probably more my own fault that I, w I was prepared for those positions, but I had never pulled them before. So it's a learning curve, right? I had to learn some new jobs and some new things. And when you have a huge mental fog on yourself of grief, man, learning those jobs just took even longer and it was more difficult. Um, I would say 99% of the people at my new department were amazing. Um, my deputy chief was amazing. Everyone, everyone looked out for me, all my teammates. I just had a few issues with a couple people, um, probably personality differences more than anything. And, you know, the, the, the fog of grief just intensified it for me. So it made me a little, um, uh, anxious to go to work. If I'm honest, I had some issues going to work. I kept thinking I was having a heart attack for a couple months because I kept having extremely sharp pains in my chest. I didn't know what was going on because um, that had never happened to me before. Come to find out through, you know, going to my mental health doctor and stuff like that, that I was probably having some anxiety attacks and I didn't even realize I was having these anxiety attacks. I thought it was something physical, but it was more uh, mental and emotional. Um, you know, there's something about being a leader where it's preached to us in the military about that. And, uh, I was, I was disappointed in some of my leadership that they tagged me for that deployment. Um, one year after Mason had went to heaven. Um, I, I didn't think my family was mentally ready for me to leave them. And I clearly was not mentally ready to go. And it really, I think it hurt more than anything that I was looked at more as a number at that point than as a person. Um, and I get that too. I, I understand it's everybody's got to do their part in their turn. Um, but I'm no stranger to deployments or going wherever the air force needs me to go. And, um, I know they had held off on one year so I could kind of recover a little bit, but it just wasn't enough and I wasn't ready. So that really kind of hurt me overall, if I'm honest. Um, you know, that person's not in the military anymore and that's fine. Um, you know, and it ultimately got as a plan and it got me to this new job in the inspector general office where I love it. I've learned so much, met some amazing people, and uh, I, I couldn't be happier with where I work right now. And it's given me the opportunity now to go to Germany, which I wouldn't have had otherwise. So um, God really works in mysterious ways in that sense, uh, in my personal opinion, for me. Um you know, it's, it's all worked out in the end, but there were some, some waves, you know, like we've talked a couple times where I felt like I was drowning even more because of work and the, the, uh, mental strain that was placed on me on top of dealing with the loss, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're saying a lot of things that I want, I want the people listening to hear clearly. Uh, cause for me, they, they resonate as kind of the big ideas of, um, first of all, the fog. I'm I'm still in a fog. Three years later, I still it's obviously not as thick of a fog, but I still go to work every day, and I still forget things. I still mess things up. I still have a lot of moments of just I just feel like I'm there, not doing anything right, and 
that's normal for for everybody's listening. We see posts from dads all the time about going back to work and how they feel like they're they're not succeeding. Just you're you're normal, man. Um, I don't know anybody that's suffered a loss that's been able to go back just with a clear mind because it's still grief. Um, you you made a comment a few minutes ago. I think. It's important to remember, too, that we, we do what we think is best at that moment. And you talked about it with your decision to go to Delaware versus stay in Idaho and and some regrets, but how it's working out in some ways, too. And I think that's a key thing to remember for everybody, too, that we do. We have to decide what's best for me at that moment. And there's obviously some things like physical harm and things that are wrong, but in general, most things, if it's going to get you through that next step without hurting you or hurting anybody else, then, I mean, it's, maybe it's not a bad choice because it, it helps us get through that moment. And um, you talked about leadership, too, and I know that's something I have struggled with because in my when Jameson passed, I was I guess that was my 19th year teaching, and I had always stepped up and tried to be a leader in the school and be as active as I could in the community to help make a positive difference beyond my classroom. And from the moment I went back after Jameson went to heaven, I, I could care less about leadership. Um, I'm, I'm leading my class, I'm leading my kids, and everything outside my doors, I'm sorry, somebody else is going to have to carry that because I, I busted myself for 19 years and I need to be carried now. Yeah, no, I agree. That's literally, I thought the exact same thing when I, when that happened, you know, I thought, you know what, I've been doing this. I'm almost at my 20 year mark in the military. I've done literally everything they've told me to do. Yes. It's the military. I have to, but there's parts of me that did extra like you said that i didn't have to i did it for the team i did it for the air force i did it for my fire department and i was at that moment where i couldn't i just couldn't and i think it's important too when i talk leadership like if you're listening to this you might not be dealing with grief but you could be leading someone that is going through grief and you need to pay attention to that how can you help them how can you help them get through this um it's those little things that make a difference should my leader have put me on a deployment one year after? Probably not. Could he? Yeah. I mean, legally, yeah, he could. That He's looking out for the overall department. Um, but me as a leader, if that was me and I was looking, I don't think I would have made that call. I would have been like, you know, this guy's not ready. Like, he's he's barely functioning at work. I'm not going to send him to the Middle East in a, a another location to deal with this and leave his family alone. So I guess that's my point too with leadership is if you're a leader and someone in your team is going through grief, that's where the point where you have to lead, you have to step up, you have to find ways to help them, find ways for them to get through it. And it's not going to be a quick process. I'll tell you that it could be a year or two. Um, but I promise you this as well. If you take care of them, they're going to be ever grateful and loyal to you for the rest of their lives for doing that. Cause I know I am for my leaders that have looked out for me. Um, you know, I will do whatever I have to, to help them with whatever they need. I'll put as many hours in as I need to, to help them. Cause I know when I was at my lowest, they were there to hold me up. So 
pay attention to that if, if you're a leader um, for a team. Exactly. And I still, I have the utmost respect for my principal at that time because she did. Um, there is, there's people who are leaders and there's people who are bosses. And my principal at that time was a leader and she, I am so grateful because she put every single safety net she possibly could in place for me to make me as successful as I could be, um, understanding too that I'm not the same. I'm not going to be the same teacher. Um, so again, as long as I'm not hurting the kids, I'll, she was going to help make sure that I got through everything alrighty. And, um, yeah, it, yeah, she's a leader I will look up to for the rest of my life. And, uh, so yeah, if, if she's listening, thank you. You know, obviously know who you are. So Chris, I'm curious. I want to hear more because you've talked about how you threw a fit being deployed to with the deployment orders for the Middle East, but now you are going to Germany and you're excited about that. So talk about that whole mindset of when you're grieving and yeah, you're about to be ripped away from your family for, I don't remember what you said, if it was six months or nine months or whatever, but it, that it would have been like six or seven months. Yeah. Okay. Around there. So that whole process and mind shift and what the difference is between the two and why you're excited about yeah. going to Germany. So, uh, yeah, the deployment, it, it's just like that. It sounds like it is. You know, I would have went to some country in the Middle East and I would have worked at a fire department there uh, on a military base. And my wife and kids would be here in Delaware alone, basically the whole six months. And uh, the difference is with going to Germany is my family will be coming with me and that'll be a three-year tour. So that's really the biggest difference. Um, you know, and to be honest, um, it kind of gives us some hope, something to look forward to, uh, a new beginning, a new start. Um, you know, Delaware was a great place for us to heal. And I feel like Germany is going to be a good place for us to start living again, if that makes sense, right? We're, we're kind of just going through the motions here in Delaware and um, I'm ready to start living again and doing fun things again. And, you know, we're doing the best we can here, but I think there's just so much more we could be doing. Um, the deployment would have been just that. It would have added more mental hardship, more strain. Um, my wife, who's still going through mental anguish, I would have left her alone now with the three boys um, to, to do everything on her own. Um, and don't get me wrong. If I have to deploy again, if I had to deploy right now in another year past from when I was told I was going to deploy last time, um, I feel like I'm in a better mindset mentally. If I had to go, I would go. Um, it was just when they did it a week after my humanitarian orders were up, Hey, you're going on a deployment. And the, the reason I was told is your, it's just your turn. It's your number is up. And um, I've been in the system long enough now to know that there's other ways for things to happen. Um, it wasn't like a, a special position where it had to be me. Um, you know, it could have been anyone. There, there's other ways around it. And I think what hurt more was that they didn't even try for it. They just said, nope, you're going, you know. And, and that's where it really kind of like if they would have tried to fight for me to not go and then it just didn't work out that way at least I could have lived with that a little bit because I would have felt like my team put up a fight, you know, 
but I didn't get, I didn't get that sense. I just got the sense like, no, you're going on this, whether you like it or not. And, um, yeah, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So, um, again, I've been in the air force now, almost 21 years, uh, of my 21 years, I bet four of those years, four straight years have been me either gone on deployments or temporary duties to other states or other countries to do stuff. Um, plus I was a shift worker, right. For probably 17 of my 21 years. So that means, um, I was working shift at the fire station for two days straight where I couldn't see my family. And then I would go home for two days. Well, those days that I'm home, life still goes on. So my kids are still at school. Everything's still going on as normal. So, um, I w- this is just a total guesstimate. I couldn't even tell you the real number, Dan, if I tried. But let's say for, of my 21 years, four years, I was either TDY, uh, temp- and that's a temporary duty, or I was um, on a deployment. And then of those uh, 17 other years, I don't know, I would bet you could probably throw another six years in there maybe of me not being with my family because I was on shift. You know, I've missed countless birthdays. I've missed countless Christmases, holidays, uh, where I was on shift. And, you know, I just, I was like, I'm, I'm done with this. This is, this is ridiculous. Um, so it was kind of like a tipping point in that sense. So, uh, but Germany, I feel is going to be a great refresh or restart kids going to school again, you know, not doing the virtual school, stuff like that. Just, I'm hoping everything goes through um, and we'll have that opportunity. I'm still hoping you get deployed down to Brevard, but you know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know what? You guys have crazy enough weather. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe who knows? So, (laughs) well, um, so yeah, I just, I want to highlight again to everybody listening for me um, being three years in for all the, all the people listening who are fresher in the road, um, the fog is normal. Lack of clarity is normal. Lack of memory is normal. Lack of desire to do anything is normal. Um, um, crying at work is normal. Um, every, everything's normal. Um, so don't, don't fret about that. The important thing, I, I love the question, the statement Chris just made, um, how do I get living again? And that's something I, I don't have the answer to that yet. I haven't gotten there yet, um, but still searching for it. But what you're going through is normal. Um, you're, we're suffering the loss of somebody very, very important to us. And again, as we've said many times, there's no timetable from it, from returning from the pain. Um, but to everybody who's in our lives listening, if you're our leaders, our colleagues, our friends, we need that support. We need you, our leaders. We need you to be leaders and not bosses. We need our colleagues to help. Again, just anything you can take off our plate while we're working through what we're going through is immensely helpful and greatly appreciated. Yep, I agree 100%. The fog is definitely normal. just keep pushing one thing at a time, right? Uh, like Dan said, a couple episodes past, or maybe last episode, maybe the one thing you do is you get up and you take a shower. Maybe the next thing you do is you get through maybe an hour of work and you tell your boss, I got to go. And then maybe it's a half a day. 
and then maybe you almost make it to the first full day and you just keep building on it, building blocks and building blocks. And eventually you'll get to the point where it's not going to be as heavy a fog instead of it being, uh, you know, just a quarter mile visibility, it's a half a mile and then a full. So we'll get there and we'll do that and uh, you'll be able to make it through. Yeah. Sounds good, bud. And I love seeing my buddy pop in there. For for those of you listening on the radio, you can't see it, but there's why we need to get living again because we have other kids that we still love and they need us, and we have spouses that need us, and we have people in our lives that need us, right? 100%. That's why we keep pushing. All right. Anything else, Chris? No. All right. Thanks, everyone. Very much for coming on and listening, and uh, you know we're here to help out however we can. So let us know if we can help you. Yep. So yeah, as always, guys, um, mental health is real, and if there's anything we can do to help you, please reach out to Chris or me. Uh, Chris at MilesForMasonMemorial dot com. That didn't sound right. That was yep, right. That is right. Yep. All right. Or via Miles for Mason at Facebook, uh, info at JamesonJoy dot org, or jameson's joy on facebook or all social medias and uh thank you to wmql radio for broadcasting our show and giving us a voice and please if you need help talk to somebody um just reach out to somebody that you can trust to um get it i'm gonna share something i shared it this morning on my facebook page uh, but I encourage everybody struggling with mental health to go listen to it. It's a video of a, a Ohio State football player who, um, obviously, he was a starting O-line man, I think. And he walked away because of his mental health. And the message he shared was absolutely incredible for everybody going through any kind of mental health issues. So I encourage you all to go to Jameson Joy on Facebook and look at that video or Google. uh, He was on the Today Show. Google it because his message is absolutely amazing. And um, I think you need to hear it. So, But thank you all for listening. And with that, we will wrap up this episode of A Father's Love, Healing Through Heartache.